I'm Ben Klunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. In 2019, we started this podcast as an accountability tool for our health and our business goals. Through our discussions, interviews, and sharing of our successes and difficulties, we've learned we have a passion for leadership. In 2020, we're striving to grow our own leadership abilities by focusing on learning from great leaders in business and life, and continue to share our successes and struggles on this journey. We'll continue to have raw and candid conversations while sharing our own insights and experiences with our goal being to grow as leaders and as people. You're You're listening listening to Ordinary to Extraordinary. Ain't no laws when you're drinking the claws. I, we pull up. <laughs> I'm like, ain't no laws when you're drinking white claws. And he's like, if he has that written on his truck, we are leaving. He's like, we're not even interviewing. He's like, <laughs> his truck says no laws when you're drinking them. That's it's like, yeah, you got this Toyota, this lifted Toyota truck that says no laws when you're drinking white claws. <laughs> Like douche, turn around. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely doucher. Definitely. This podcast is not as appropriate. It is rated E for explicit, just so you're aware. <laughs> you can drop, you can drop f bombs or whatever. We can okay. try to try yeah. to you don't need chair. to. Nobody's encouraging anything. Okay. But everybody has their phones on silent, so we don't get anything going off in the middle. It might vibrate. Oh, if I look at my phone, I'm looking at notes or whatever. Okay, so I know we have notes. Yeah. So Ben, Ben's going to introduce you. Awesome. I'm going to introduce you. You guys know each other. We are here we, today we, we, with Tyler and Tyler, have, the two Tylers. Yeah, two we have Tyler. another guest. But we don't have a microphone for you. Sorry, other Yeah, Tyler. sorry, sorry, Tyler too. <laughs> oh, we could have brought one. You can just talk into his gold mic. Yeah, we might have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe we'll just like flip mine around. <laughs> what was it like being an intern? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. guest appearance, here. baby. Yeah. Celebrity shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay, so today we are out in Coeur Lane recording from Continuous Composites of Tyler Alvarado. Uh, Tyler is somebody who's, I guess our backgrounds have kind of crossed paths in a few different areas now. I married one of your colleagues, like literally married them, not like I am the husband or spouse. (laughs) I was the officiant of the wedding. I got ordained, for those of you who didn't know that, uh, as a minister. Did a phenomenal Uh, job, by the way. It was a whopping two-minute wedding, and then we got to party afterwards there a little bit. I will uh, just leave that at that. (laughs) (laughs) There was white claws, I think. I think there might have been one or two. Yeah. And uh, other alcoholic beverages. But uh, Tyler's also youth leader at the, the church that I grew up in. I think not my youth leader because we're closer in age than my brother is. Uh, so uh, just known to. Uh, I'm going to that part out because I just stuttered. Wow, that's been a while since we're I've leaving done that. It in. I like when you stutter. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to call you Joe Biden from now on. <laughs> <laughs> So knowing you for years now in terms of watching Continuous Composites coming out and meeting with you a few times now, getting to see a little bit of the growth and the multiple phases you guys have gone through uh, with fundraising and just been impressed with it. And then you hired Lauren. Yep. And I was like, wow, I questioned that choice. But uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> totally joking, Lauren. You were probably their best hire yet. Like she listens. I don't know if she listens, actually. 
I don't know. Well, this will be a test. She's pretty coachable. Hey, Lauren, if you listen, Tyler's going to give you a $5,000 raise just for listening. <laughs> Paid by Ben. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, with that, I don't really have anything else to say other than I appreciate you coming on today, giving us a little bit of time to share your story, uh, the idea behind Continuous Composites, and what you guys are trying to do. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. So, now's the part where we have you tell us what you do rather than Ben talk about it. So who you are, where you've been, what you've done, and where you're at now. Awesome. So uh, again, Tyler Alvarado, um, born and raised in this Pacific Northwest area, grew up in Spokane, um, have always had a passion for business and entrepreneurship. Uh, I went to school down at Washington State University where I met my lovely wife, uh, which we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary this uh, last weekend. What's so your anniversary again? August 28th, August 2010. 28th. Yeah. I've got a month on you for my tenure. Wow. A month. <clears throat> so your wisdom, you can share some uh, marriage yeah, we'll wisdom. We'll share that off air later. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, went to school down at WCU though. Um, my wife and I graduated during the uh, credit crisis. So she graduated in December of 08. I graduated in May of 09 with my master's. So nice. it was kind of an interesting time to be coming out of uh, school with a bachelor's. Well, I had a master's. She had a bachelor's. But we're both looking for our first entry-level position and you know competing with people that had 10 years of experience for these entry-level jobs because unemployment was so high. Yeah. Um, but actually, that's where I got connected to Lauren um, because my wife uh, was employee number one, non-co-founder employee number one of uh, eTales. Um, it actually was prior to the, it being named eTales, it was Green Cupboards. And uh, she was working with uh, the two founders, Josh and Sarah, um, and, and starting to build the business. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Lauren was actually one of Sierra's first hires. Um, and so I now am the recipient of about seven or eight years of uh, mentoring that my wife, you know, hey. you know, gave to Lauren and they got to work together. And so I, I'm still going to, you know, ask Lauren one day, who's the better boss, me or Sierra? Oh but uh, don't ask that. <laughs> <laughs> you might not like the answer. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyways, I uh, ended up getting into private business because I did not want to go into public accounting. So yeah. my background was um, undergrad in accounting, master's in business. I was working on my CPA. Uh, I was planning to go into investment banking and during the credit crisis, Lehman Brothers failed. Other investment banks were not doing very well. So I went into private accounting, uh, worked at a manufacturing company in the Spokane Valley for about three years and we grew it pretty uh, rapidly both in uh, headcount wise as well as uh, top line revenue and obviously high profits as well. Mm -hmm. um, so great experience there, got, going through a lot of organizational growth and leadership. That? Uh, that company was Berg Manufacturing. Yeah, Berg, yeah. 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 So uh, when I started, there was about 40 employees. And when I left, there was about 225 employees. Good uh, yeah. So it was pretty. You and Sierra both like startups is what I figured. Absolutely. Berg just sold in the last year or two as well. Yep. Yep. So yeah, okay. I didn't know that. I and you have way too much personality to be a CPA. I know. Seriously. Yeah. <clears throat> Full of energy. Yeah. I always said my uh, CPA was my ticket to the game. So it was like getting me understanding business from the financial statements out. I thought oh, was imperative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I ultimately uh, wanted to lead an organization, you know, and uh, bring people together around a common goal. And so um, I kind of was starting to reach my cap within Berg as far as uh, you know how I could continue to. 
uh, affect change. And so I took a CFO position, which was the natural next step for me uh, in a startup company out here in Coeur d'Alene. And my wife was still working and growing e-tails. So I was commuting back and forth from North Spokane to uh, Coeur d'Alene for about four years. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite the drive, but uh, it was worth it. Uh, I got to meet a lot of great people, including my uh, current business partner, John Swallow, who was introduced to me by um, the former owner um, of Berg, Andy Barrett. The two of them were uh, actually trying to build a, what I would call a philanthropic business for youth in this area. They had bought 80 acres, had four uh, artificial turf fields that came from the Seattle Seahawks. And kind of their mission and vision was that sports are such an integral part to a youth development, you know, teaching them work ethic and discipline. And Andy and John were sitting on the sidelines talking about how there's so many middle income and lower income families in the Coeur d'Alene area that don't have the financial means to take their children to Spokane to play in these nice sports complex, you know, three to five nights a week. Um, and so they wanted to create a facility that was rented to a dollar for a dollar a year to lots of uh, nonprofit organizations and club teams in this Coeur d'Alene area to service that uh, that kind of niche middle and lower income families. I was involved in that kind of. I was used to work in the soccer industry. Oh, you did? So okay. I ran a soccer club in Spokane, and we were consulted on a bunch of that. And gotcha. May, that might be why John looked familiar to me well, when maybe. we met him. Were you um, part of, uh, what was the team name? FC Spokane was the club I helped run, but River City was, we rebranded from River City, but I was just involved in the U.S. club soccer. And okay. They were part of it. And, okay. Yeah, we definitely were part of that conversation. Whatever came of it, because I got out and I've never looked back, to be honest. Yeah, so we actually got the land uh, annexed into the city of Hayden, mm-hmm. um, and we had the whole business plan with all the finances. The turf fields are still sitting there to this day. Um, we got a lot of pushback from the city of Hayden and uh, city council because there was a few neighbors that complained about the amount of traffic that it would bring to the area. Well, heaven forbid there's cars. No kidding. So <laughs> Uh, it was one of those things where they were putting up hurdles in front of us and um, you know our team knew that the money was sitting there and we could do you know positive changes with that for this area and this community so John and I actually ended up partnering and buying a business uh, called McAllister Technical Services um, and reinvesting in you know real estate in Coeur d'Alene um, specifically in downtown Coeur d'Alene and on East Sherman mm-hmm. part of revitalizing that side of uh, Coeur d'Alene mm-hmm. um, we started continuous composites together and uh, there was four principles in that business uh we sat on the land for up until this last year actually we didn't want to see it become a bunch of houses you know we wanted to see it benefit the area and the Coeur d'Alene school district actually had a 10-year plan for expanding um, high schools middle schools and elementary schools so we sold our first 40 acres to the city of Coeur d'Alene um, school district and they're planning to you know build schools there one day and then we just closed on our last 40 acres so we ended up not uh, creating the sports complex um, but the club that we were primarily working with was Sting Soccer Sting. And they had another parent that kind of stepped up partway through and said, we want this, but we want it to be on our property. And so, you know, we tried to donate them the land and the turf if they could raise the last 500,000 bucks to install it. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do it. And so it was, it was fine. It ended up working for everybody. They still got their soccer club and we ended up selling the land. So there you go. You know how I bitched about the politics and youth soccer? Yeah. There's some of it right there. We'll, We'll give you this for free if you can get that money. And no, we don't want that. Yep. Well, everybody has a better way of doing it. <laughs> Our backup business plan ended up being the most profitable business plan for us. The so. land? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> the one you were going to give away ended yep. up being the most profitable. Yep. Yeah. 
So, so you had to annex back into Quarter Lane, the property you probably annexed into Hayden? No, you're it's, gonna have to, no it actually is uh, still annexed into the city of Hayden. So I don't know how that's the school district yeah, work. school district, if they can have uh, one in Hayden, if that's part of it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. Yeah. They'll make it work. They oh, will. Sure they will. They're government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, we're taking this. Change boundaries, yeah. whatever they need to do. Yeah. All right. So continuous composites, 3D printing. See, People that are that. listening that don't know what 3D printing is. I told Ben on the way out here, people have given me things that have been 3D printed before and it's just like a block of plastic. And I'm like, okay, so how is that useful? Yeah. But obviously, you guys are doing much cooler things than that. So talk yeah. about the company, what you're doing, how you do it, and what, what 3D printing is. I, I would love to. So let's start with just traditional 3D printing. Um, 3D printing, the technical term is additive manufacturing, and you're describing a process where you're starting with nothing, you're adding material to create a three-dimensional object. So it's a very broad name for uh, that all encompasses a lot of different types of technologies. Uh, it's been around since the 80s. Early on, it was called rapid prototyping because that's all it was good for. You could make a prototype of a part, but it was never going to be a production technology if you couldn't solve the three primary weaknesses that all 3D printing technologies have. And uh, that is weak materials. Most traditional 3D printing processes have really weak materials. The process is pretty slow. So if I wanted to 3D print this cell phone case right here, it might take 12 to 15 hours to 3D print mm -hmm. one case. Now that's really cool if I'm a hot you know, or try to build a prototype for a new cell phone case for my iPhone. But if I want to go put those into production, you're not going to be yeah, using 3D efficient. printing. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's too low, too inefficient, and it's going to cost you too much. And then the third weakness is that most of the machines are all really small. And so you're limited to this small build volume. And if you uh, want to print a large part, you end up having to scale it down as a scaled model. Uh, so a lot of innovation has been happening in the 3D printing space um, over the last decade. And typically companies are seeking to solve one or maybe two of those weaknesses. Um, but until you solve all three of those, that technology is not going to be a viable manufacturing technology. There's niches that they can fill, uh, but it's not going to be a viable manufacturing technology. What we did was we invented the use of bringing composite materials to the 3D printing industry. And for those of you that don't know what a composite is, by definition, you're taking two different materials together uh, and putting them, combining them together with a manufacturing process to create a third material that's stronger than the individual components. So a common type of composite is carbon fiber, mm -hmm. where you have the fiber, which is made of carbon, you have a resin, and then through a manufacturing process, you have this really lightweight, strong carbon fiber part. The reason why you only find carbon fiber in super high-end applications like aerospace or DOD or really premium sporting good products like a $10,000 carbon fiber bike is because the manufacturing process is so inefficient, it's laborsome, there's a lot of waste, and ultimately it drives the cost per pound of that finished carbon fiber up so significantly that only the industries like aerospace that can get an ROI every time that plane is flying because it's using less fuel it doesn't make that cost benefit analysis doesn't make sense. What our technology does, it gets rid of all of the manufacturing constraints that are found in traditional composites. Uh, and the way we do that is we take those same aerospace grade carbon fibers uh, that are used to manufacture, let's say, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Mm -hmm. We combine that in our print head with a UV curable resin. And that print head is attached to a six axis industrial robot arm. And then here actually on our campus, you've seen our robot arm, which is mm -hmm. mounted to a 50 foot long linear rail. So you can scale this up to really large parts. Mm -hmm. And our software, 
commands that robot and as it's moving <clears throat> that robot and printhead throughout free space we're aiming a high intensity uv light at that continuous fiber that's being discharged from it and it's taking its shape instantaneously so it holds its shape completely unsupported <clears throat> which eliminates the need for molds and ovens and autoclaves which are traditional um, high high cost parts that go into making composite components so it, it changes the way you can manufacture with composites and it, the ultimate result is that it drastically reduces the cost to manufacture with a carbon fiber. What type of composites are you guys printing? I know you've mentioned before how you print fiber, right? And I think I, I tell people it's like, they do carbon fiber, fiber optics, fiber, like what type of fiber do you guys print? I mean, is there multiple types of fiber? What does that even mean? Absolutely. So when we invented this technology back in 2012, our vision was that we're not limiting ourselves to carbon fiber. We can print any sort of continuous fiber. So our patents cover combining at least one continuous fiber with at least one resin and 3D printing that. So like you said, Ben, it doesn't matter if it's carbon, glass, <clears throat> Kevlar. Uh, it could also be a continuous material like copper wire for embedding circuits into parts or fiber optics for sensing. And these different fibers are used for different applications. Uh, so if you were wanting a part that is really high in tensile strength, uh, you'd use a carbon fiber, for example. If you want to print some ballistic protection for you know, military applications, you're going to use something that has much higher um, impact resistance like a Kevlar or a new fiber that's come out, which is called ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. Uh, so we can print all of those continuous materials. Our process, we own the pa this patented process and it has flexibility to change fibers and change resins depending on what application you're going after. That's wow. crazy. So are you licensing that those patents or is other people taking your technology and you guys making money from it or are you guys trying to dial it in in-house and then roll it out? It's a great question. When we started the business, we knew that this was a billion dollar idea. We knew that this was <clears throat> a breakthrough manufacturing technology and and we had to protect it from a patent perspective. So from 2015 to 2017, we were operating in stealth mode where we were self-funding all of the intellectual property, making sure that it was well protected. And at that time, because we had such a heavy focus on IP, our business uh, model was licensing. We were gonna license the technology to uh, the Boeings of the world and the Lockheed Martins of the world and mm -hmm. you know the Fords of the world and let them develop the machines and the materials that uh, really meet their specific application. Uh, in 2017, we came out of stealth mode because we had all of our pat foundational patents granted and we had a lot of patents on file and we started to tell the world what we were doing and we quickly discovered that while these big, large businesses have you know more financial capital and human capital, with all the red tape and bureaucracy, they really need us to commercialize the technology. And we discovered that over you know the two that year 2017 and we shifted our model in 2018 to use our patent portfolio as a real sustainable competitive advantage while we develop the technology and so <clears throat> we actually shifted towards hiring all of our engineers developing these uh, machines these robots with CNC controllers the print heads partnering with very large material companies to develop various resins that meet specific uh, applications and we've really gone for it so our business model now is that we're going to be selling these machines to these OEM manufacturers 
to use them to manufacture whatever they want. Because our machine doesn't care if it's printing a car part today, a bike part tomorrow, an aerospace part the next day. So it's a very flexible manufacturing technology that is very fast. It uses low cost, um, high strength materials like composites and it's very large scale. So it really seeks to solve all three of those weaknesses that are found in most traditional uh, 3D printing technologies. That's crazy. So you're obviously <coughs> passionate about this, which is weird. Because I'm <laughs> passionate about car printing carbon fiber, right? So it's like, that's a really weird thing to be passionate about. But you've done, I mean, you are, you're genuinely passionate about it, I can tell. So how, I mean, where did that come from, right? And startups are hard, for one. Let's just go there. Like Startups are hard, they're emotionally draining. They're hard on relationships. They're, I mean, a lot of things, right? So uh, where do you find the energy to be passionate about it? I guess is where I'm yeah. getting at. Because it's a difficult thing. And I think a lot of people wonder that, right? They think that they're passionate about something and then they get into it. And they realize how difficult it actually is. Yep. So to be able to maintain the energy and passion for something from 2015, you know, five years into it now yep. is uh, impressive in and of itself. And then let alone grow it to 20 plus people. Right, and to lead a team. So maybe we can shift the conversation a little bit that way. It's like, how are you maintaining passion? How are you maintaining energy? And uh, how's that translating to your team and your leadership side? Absolutely, it's a it's a great question. I always, when I think back on this journey, it, before we started the company, I didn't know anything about three D printing or about composites. Yeah. Um, but I really, I'm really passionate about business and people. Yeah. You know, I always say it doesn't matter what industry we're in; it's all about we're in the people business, right? You can take the technology out of the middle of it. It's all about the people that are executing it. So, mm -hmm. I really find a lot of enjoyment and. Um, and energy out of bringing good people together for a common goal. And I emphasize good people because uh, my business partner and mentor, John Swallow, you know, something that him and I both live by is this, what we call no asshole rule. We don't want asshole employees. We don't want asshole shareholders. We don't want asshole partners, yeah. you know, because life's just too short. And this is one of those business ideas where it's so large. And I've, I developed my own personal conviction for the technology early on. And I've had a, an amazing, Amazing time surrounding myself with really good engineers and other business professionals and patent attorneys that are on our team and just continue to learn and grow uh, professionally as well as personally but I, what I also like to do is mentor and give back to my team and to others that are in this community because I've been the recipient of some great mentoring over the years uh, which have enabled me to be in the position that I'm at right now and I think that I'm always a constant student. I think it's important for us to all continue to learn and to develop. So, um, you know, this startup has been extremely fun. It's been challenging. Um, it, you know, it's had its, uh, it, its ups and downs, but at the end of the day, this business has the potential to change the lives of our employees and their families for multiple generations. Uh, we really believe in this mantra of you know sharing the wealth around. So every employee owns a piece of the business. All of our investors, we've raised over $8 million of equity capital and we've done it in what I would say is a pretty unconventional way uh, to date as we don't have any venture capital funding in the business whatsoever. So all five rounds have come from uh, friends, family, angel 
investors and then strategic partners who have put uh, capital into the business. And so the amazing part about that is the equity is all held mostly here regionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, when we cross the finish line, uh, that all of that is going to be reinvested by good people back into this, you know, community. So I'm really excited to see the impact that this is going to have for a long time. Yeah, that's cool. Sure um, there's a couple of things that jump out at me there. The first one being the no asshole rule. Love it. Yeah. I'm the same. So when we're hiring people, I insist on two things. There's a beer test and there's a spousal interview because... One, I don't. If I'm, if I have to have a beer with you, if we're going out for beers, I don't want to be stuck in a room with somebody drinking that mm-hmm. I don't want to spend time with. That yep. isn't interesting to me. And two, the spousal interview. I think that's so important when it comes to hiring people because you've got to learn what's driving them, right? Yeah. So you're married. Ben's married. Hiring either one of you without speaking to Lauren or, or your wife is is lunacy, right? Yeah. <coughs> because that's your why, and that's what's you're going home to every night and what's what's going to shape your daily absolutely yeah so, it affects their work ethic to yeah. some degree too if they're struggling at home i mean they're yeah so bringing that to work with the no asshole rule what's your hiring policy there how do you guys make sure that you don't have assholes in the building you know i have that exact same uh kind of litmus test is can i can i see myself going and having a beer with this person if i can see myself having a beer with this person i know that they can fit into this culture mm-hmm. um, you know it's important in our our business to hire for very specific technical skills but there's also uh, those soft skills and I think that you can teach the technical skills and mm-hmm. all that but the soft skills those interpersonal skills the character the integrity those are things that are they're either in you or they're not they're part of who you are Absolutely. and so I really seek through the interview process to draw out who the person is um, not how smart they are you know I think it's a balance and to your point about you know, the spousal kind of litmus test. I think that kudos to my wife. I would not be able to do what I do without the support of mm-hmm. uh, Sierra. She's uh, an amazing wife. Um, like I said, 10 years now, we have three beautiful children. Um, she fortunately got to have a, uh, a career early on before we had children. Spent about seven years growing e-tails, um, which for those of you that don't know, it was acquired by a publicly traded company over on the East Coast uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Sierra, yeah, it was a, a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, it was it was cool because, you know, through that, her and I were just coming out of college, um, you know, both of us trying to uh, make it, you know, start a family, you know, have a good solid mm-hmm. financial base. Um, so we were working on paying down debt pretty aggressively, um, you know, and just continuing to grow ourselves personally and professionally. And one piece of advice that was given to me early on that I always give uh, people that I'm mentoring is that the most valuable thing you can get from any experience is your professional development. It's not the paycheck because that paycheck can come and go. But the thing that can never be taken away is that professional development. Mm-hmm. And That's so I really focused on uh, just growing as an individual through all of my jobs and getting me to where I'm at. I'm still continuing to focus on that growth. And Sierra did the same thing at the startup where she virtually did every single role in the business. And uh, she, when she left, she was the uh, VP of purchasing, had a pretty large 
large team um, underneath her that was responsible for about 95% of the annual revenues uh, for the company every year. And we together made the decision for her to stay home and raise our child. So she, she decided to you know become a stay-at-home mom one year after our first child was born, who's now six. Mm-hmm. So that was five years ago. Yeah. But the really right cool... about the time this was coming about. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so that allowed us to move out to Coeur d'Alene. You know, she, we have a very close relationship with her family. They're from North Spokane, as well as my family, which is uh, Spokane Valley area. But, um, you know, it was a big deal for her to say, yeah, let's pick up roots where, uh, from North Spokane, where I can go drive to see my sister in five minutes or my mom in 15 minutes. You know, they can help with the kids all the way out to Coeur d'Alene where we didn't have, you know, necessarily the support system, but we were all in with the businesses and mm-hmm. we were all in with this startup. And what's amazing is that I can go home and have these intellectual conversations with her about building the business and running the business. And, and she gets it. She's been she through that startup. She's been through that growth. And so um, she's had her success. You know, she's continuing to do the most important job in the world, which is to raise our kids. And it allows me to know that when I'm out traveling or when I'm out building this company, that uh, my house and my children are being well, you know, taken care of and, and, you know, their character and integrity and all those uh, core values are being instilled in them. So that's awesome. What uh, you were talking about highs and lows earlier, right? So that's like, I would say the description of startups is highs and lows, right? One minute you're on top, the next you're on the bottom, then it's just up and down. Yeah. Do you mind sharing some of the lows? I always like to know what are some of the things that you struggled with, maybe that you didn't anticipate hitting you the way they did, and you're like, I would not do that again. <laughs> like professional development, I learned it the hard way. I would not do that again. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll be a little bit guarded in the sense that I don't want to offend anybody yeah, out there no, that please. might be listening yeah. to it. But I think through startup, there's a lot of passion that comes that gets involved in the business from the beginning. And as the business grows and evolves, um, roles change, you know, responsibilities change, and that's always a hard transition for for people. And so um, I just think some of those, you know, early, we call it the sausage making stage, you know, you, you build battle scars through that, you know, making sure for us, we had a me and my two co-founders, Ken and John, had an ultra focus on making sure that the foundation of the company was built right, which was not only the foundation of the business, but it was the foundation of the capital structure and uh, you know the business plan and all that. We were all incentivized properly. And those are hard things to go through, you know, especially early on. Um, and fortunately, we made it through those. And, mm. um, you know, we have gotten to where we're at. It's uh, It's been pretty exciting. I always say that we haven't we haven't crossed the finish line, though, by any nope. means. I mean, yeah. we've still got a long ways to go, and the story is yet to be written. But, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of lessons learned along the way. Um, some of those lessons have been... Like I told you, our business model changed a bit. Uh, we thought we could just license this thing to a Boeing and they'd go put their $100 million into developing mm-hmm. it for uh, aerospace applications. And you know, the first time they came out here, it was like, okay, these guys, it's gonna take them 20 years and the patents will be expired by the time these guys get this it. thing yeah. developed. So um, you know, there's been a lot of that stuff, um, but it's been very serendipitous. I'd say that I, hearing all of the horror stories of startups, I feel very fortunate and blessed to be where we're at today. Um, you know, during COVID, we were very well positioned um, because we had been focused on ensuring that we had a solid base since the beginning, which was focusing on non-dilutive capital. It was focused on raising money when you can, not when you have to. Um, and that's a good example. That's a good piece of advice right there. <clears throat> yeah. Because I think a lot of people 
you know, especially in the startup world, they're like, well, we don't need the money right now, so we're not going to take it. Exactly. Like, yep. You're a startup. Yep. And I think another, on that piece, um, a lot of founders place so much value in uh, just the idea itself. And there's so much more that goes into executing the business and actually turning that idea into a real business. Well, ideas aren't worth much. Right. I mean, most startups yeah. fail because of execution, right? Yeah. So I think a big part thing that we all knew going into this and you know actually executed was ensuring that we had the proper diverse team around this business mm-hmm. to really take it and scale. And um, I, my partner, John, he's a little bit older than me. We call him the godfather of Coeur d'Alene. Um, but fortunately, so uh, my other co-founder, Ken, him and I are close to the same age. And so we always okay. had John, you know, this uh, grand overseer that uh, <laughs> had a little bit more like, wisdom uh, experience. Maybe Ex- don't do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So to that point, though, how involved are John and Ken? <clears throat> you know, both of them are pretty passive at this point. Um, you know, they're both, uh, they're still co-founders and they're both... Uh, very um, sit on the board if you will yeah exactly you know kind of at that level I've learned a ton from Ken I've learned a ton from John um, and you know they they each are playing their role effectively Um, you know Ken's a very brilliant guy thinking of all sorts of creative ways Um, he's an entrepreneur through and through so he has a couple other startups that he's working on yeah John um, his day job is actually uh, building it's a startup in the mining industry but it's not really a startup he bought it in 2012 uh, it's called New Jersey Mining Company. It's an over-the-counter uh, publicly traded company, NJMC. And um, they have the Golden Chess Mine up in Murray, and they're, where they're mining uh, gold, mm-hmm. both underground and surface. And then they haul it to the mill, which is in Kellogg, where they mill it down to a gold concentrate. So he's the CEO of that. Um, you know, him and I own McAllister together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he retired from that. He's always... <laughs> But it's been awesome, um, and so Ken and Ken and John are great mentors of mine. Um, you know, we're we're all excited to uh, share a bottle of Crown at the end of this thing, and you know, just really celebrate the, you know, the struggles and the successes that we've all had so far. And you guys can't do. find better booze than Crown Royal. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we want to stay there. humble. We we'll want to stay some humble. Scottish whiskey. <laughs> oh, there you go. Even just Johnny Walker Blue Label. <laughs> That's awesome. None of that Canadian nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned COVID. You talked about being well positioned coming into it, but you guys pivoted pretty quickly and started making masks. Do you want to talk about that and what you did there? That was seemingly smart, at least. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually... It was one of those things where we have a lot of, of stuff going with the federal government. So we work mm. very closely with the Air Force. Um, there's a organization over in Boston called Advanced Functional Fabrics of America, where we've been you know working on collaboration with them on func- printing functional fibers. And when COVID hit, you know everyone in the U.S. and really around the world is sitting here like there's this PPE shortage and there we're so dependent on China. You know, we don't. What are we going to do? And we're sitting here like, why are we sit playing victim? We can be part of the solution. Uh, the state Idaho state senators and and uh, uh, congressmen have been working with us on some of our. Um, presidential budget um, line items for fiscal year 21 and beyond. And so through those relationships, they said, you know, Governor Little in Idaho is coordinating efforts because we told them we have manufacturing capabilities. We know manufacturing. We know 3D printing. There's all these stories about, you know, using 3D printing in to combat COVID. We want to be part of the solution. And so they told us to contact Governor Little's office, which we did. 
and Governor Little's office said, hey, you know, go ahead and email us your guys' capabilities and we'll get back to you. And so I hung up the phone on March 27th and was like, wait a second. The, if we're waiting for these guys to come ask us to do something, it's, it's going to be good. way too late. So I'm like, we, they need us to be a catalyst. And one of our, uh, our engineering students, Andrew Overby, who was just finishing his senior year at U of I, school now is all online, and he already had a light workload and was working part-time anyway. So he comes back to Coeur d'Alene, and he's ready to go full-time with us. We were planning to start in May when he graduated, but it was almost like an mm-hmm. early graduation. So we got together, Andrew and I, and a couple other people on the team and said, there's lots of things that we could do out there from making manual ventilators to become automated, uh, making PPE, face shields, masks, you know, fi- making 3D printing uh, adapters to make a ventilator for, to service two patients. What should we do? And so over the weekend, he researches it and he comes back on Monday and says, you know, there's this huge shortage on N95 masks and all of these N95 masks are manufactured with this, uh, they're all disposable and the entire mask is the filter material. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge strain on that filter material. Um, And he's like, so I think that we can engineer a reusable mask that consumes a significantly less amount of that N95 material and um, it'll be flat. It'll be really easily manufactured because right now the way they're all being manufactured is that the machines are built here in the U.S., sold to China. China uses those machines to make that melt-blown N95 material. Then they form it into the mask, and then they sell it back to the U.S. And so through our relationship with the federal government, we sourced this N95 material in rolled form. Uh, We started 3D printing these uh, reusable masks and trying them on our face for fit and function. We started working with Kootenai Health to do uh, what they call OSHA fit testing. And in a matter of two weeks, we had all of our prototypes and initial designs done, and we were going to transition this to injection molding, um, where we could actually go and produce about 2,000 masks per day per size. And so using uh, one of my old high school wrestling coach, who uh, is the president of uh, all tech manufacturing yeah. over in uh, Liberty Lake. Tech, yep. Yeah, so Mike Marzetta was my old wrestling coach. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. Funny. Mike and his Bronco. <clears throat> yeah, so I've... Uh, I, I've known Alltech for quite some time, and I approached them, and they were have been great partners through this. They partnered with us on uh, manufacturing these molds in a very quick turnaround time in-house and getting these things tested and launched this product. Um, it's been a great response. Uh, if you see most of the masks out there today, they're, they're just face coverings. Um, you know, It's supposed to stop the spread of it, but they're not tight seals or anything like that. Um, the thing that also was driving us was that most of these actual N95 masks are really uncomfortable to wear. Like if you ever wear one for a long period of time, they hurt the bridge of your nose, they hurt your cheeks. So we mimicked this after a painter's mask uh, that are designed for yeah, painters to wear them for a long time, you know, eight to 10 hour shifts. So these are a very soft, flexible material that accommodates a lot of variations in face shapes and sizes. It seals very effectively. Uh, we're currently not certified with N95. So we have an FDA emergency use authorization uh, for these face masks and we're taking it through all of the NIOSH um, and FDA certification and testing to get that, uh, that N95 standard. Damp, but mm-hmm. right now, it's all been engineered for the proper mm-hmm. filtration efficiencies, well, pressure drops. For the non N95 portion, the, not the filters, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole idea is behind the plastic. Reusable, throw it in the autoclave. Yep. Yep. Sterilized, comes out sterilized, through a new filter, and you're ready to go for the next patient. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, 
And you can, I mean, you can sanitize it, do an autoclave like you're saying, because it can withstand a really high heat up to 225 degrees Fahrenheit. You can throw it into your dishwasher if you want. You can soak it in a, UV? a sanitation bath, UV. UV. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very durable plastic. I mean, that that face mask itself will should last forever. And then the filters are a flat teardrop shape that you just replace them. And mm -hmm. we're stamping those out on a CNC press, you know. So it's a it's a pretty cool thing, and I'm, I'm super proud of our team. But what's what I'm most proud of is that we were able to execute that with a very small team and that was our side hustle we executed on some pretty big projects for our core technology during the whole pandemic because we were deemed essential you know, a couple weeks time yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it comes back to the whole team you know it doesn't matter what the technology is you change the technology we can be successful with I think it the part i love the most and the biggest lesson from that is don't wait on the government for anything just no. do it yeah, that's be your own catalyst. If you wait for legislature and government and even governors, yep, mayors, anything, they want to make sure they're not going to piss anybody off. Oh. They want to check with everybody and that goes to this. anybody though. Yeah, but I mean nobody's going to move right? as quickly as yep. you are. I agree. Idea. <clears throat> it's like Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Just Stephen likes Nike, it. and I think <laughs> <laughs> there's a Nike reference. <laughs> I think it's so true though. I think that there's a small amount of um, the population that's uh, that really drives economic development in the in the US and I think small business and startups are mm -hmm. integral to that, you cool. know. So you wait for big business or government or legislation, it's never gonna happen. So you just gotta make your own success. Well we talked last week about commitment and follow through and mm -hmm. we basically said look Pragmatism is common. There's so many pragmatists. People that figure out how to do shit. Yeah. They don't act on it. And that's the, that's the secret well, to that's success. that's the whole idea about his ideas, right? Yeah. Everybody Just has ideas. Everyone's got the business idea they think is going to make them a billion dollars. Yep. But nobody acts on them. Yep. Absolutely. So it's like more action, less ideas. More action, less ideas. Yep. That's how you're going to get stuff done. Have you ever been in New York City? Nope. In New York City, you can't walk a mile without talking to three people that would point at a building and say, I could have bought that for $100 <laughs> in 1970. And the place yeah. was a shithole. Yeah. And it's like, well, why didn't you? Someone did. Yep. You know, yeah. Guys yeah. like Donald Trump and others went and bought up the entire city. And now New York real estate is, you know, per capita worth more than anywhere else on earth. Yep. It's crazy. I like to say that... Uh, that uh, luck is the intersection of hard work meeting opportunity. Yeah. And I think that the key there is hard work. You gotta be working hard, and when mm -hmm. the opportunity presents itself, you gotta be willing to jump on it and take advantage of that, so. I say the same thing, but I say luck is where opportunity and preparedness meet. Yeah. Right, so you gotta be prepared to actually enact. Yep. Or, yep. or act on that opportunity. Absolutely. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So yeah, if you go big or go home was one of my uh, philosophies growing up. And invested in continuous composites five years ago. <laughs> How many people? Everyone always says that, I but five me. years from now you're going to say you should have invested in continuous composites five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that podcast I was having with Tyler when their valuation was X? <laughs> now look at them. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I said, this, this, the lesson there is don't wait on the government. Just I do agree. Things. Totally. Yeah. Don't wait, anybody. Don't wait on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Government individuals, nobody will make it happen for you except for you. Yep. Remember that, Tyler. <laughs> you're graduating. What's next then, Tyler? What's so you guys are obviously I feel like you're on the precipice of something big, right? Yep. You're already you've achieved so much, but what comes next? How do you if you had to say the next five years, how does it look? Yeah. If it goes perfectly. So there's some stuff that's gonna be coming out in the next three to six months in the public domain that I think is gonna be pretty exciting um, for continuous composites and for our involvement in this area. Um, so without kind of 
you know, letting the cat out of the bag too much. We are in the process of opening this new facility behind us, behind this mm-hmm. uh, building that we're in right now. Looks cool. Um, yeah, this, these three facilities together are our continuous composites campus, and that is going to be our demonstration facility. We are increasing our machine capacities, our uh, human capital, and we have to do that through raising some pretty significant financial capital. You know, it takes money to make money. And so um, we're in the process of uh, landing some pretty amazing uh, non-dilutive projects with some pretty big players in the aerospace uh, and DOD sector. Um, Our plan right now is to use that funding to expand our team. We're going to actually create another facility um, near one of the branches of the military, which is going to be pretty exciting stuff to unveil. And then we will uh, do what we call our tech transfer, where we're going to be through through these cooperative research and development agreements and other, you know, contractual agreements that spell out IP ownership, we'll be then selling a handful of machines to our strategic customers um, and really maturing the technology for some pretty specific and focused applications hmm. and using that refinement to then go to market to the much broader uh, industry, selling to, you know, manufacturers of anything, really, yeah. you know. And, you know, from there, I think the sky's the limit. I think once we start showing, you know, a, our technology on a flying aircraft, for example, or on, a, yeah. you know, a real industrial application and showing that value proposition, I think we can take the business wherever we want it to go. And so, um, you know, we know that we want to keep it in this area. It's roots here. Um, you know, there could be an opportunity to have it become a public company. There could be an opportunity for it to, you know, have a M&A, you know, involvement. So it's just, it's going to be fun to have those conversations um, as they come at us and we're prepared for well, it. And you never, I was going to say, you never know when those opportunities come. I mean, some of my clients that work in the startup world, they're like, I said, I guess we're getting bought. Yeah. Like it's all of a sudden, a few months later, mm-hmm. yep. you know, there, there's, there's a suitor. Yep. So you never know, I think, especially in the startup world, where things are going to go. Yep, absolutely. And then the next day, that suitor could be gone. Yep. <laughs> it just goes quickly. Yep. I kind of think that there's two inflection points, two valuations. This is kind of this hockey stick curve up and to the right. And the first one that we're approaching is one where you get the technology to, let's call it a technology readiness level of about six. Um, and you've demonstrated its capabilities and there's a, Concept. there's a, yeah. And there's, there, it's past the showstopper phase and there is uh, demand for it at that level. You know, like whether that's a big licensing deal so that the customer can keep out, um, Um, their competition or whether it's an entire acquisition and then there's the invest extra time and money into taking this technology readiness level from a six to a seven eight nine and now the sky's the limit i mean that's when we're you know multi multi billion dollar you know valuations for this type of technology because it's that breakthrough and so um it, those are gonna be fun conversations to have when people approach us and as a as a shareholder team we're gonna get to sit around this same conference table probably and say do we want to take a bite of the apple now do we want to exit do we want to yeah. you know what do we want to do with it? And so I think that'll be, those will be fun conversations to have when we get there. Yeah, I, mean, I bet. That's, I mean, I'm excited for you. Just how passionate you guys are and mm-hmm. seeing how, what you guys are doing back there, just walking through the new, the new facility. 
those printing or the I call them printing presses back from my childhood. <laughs> the robots, right? The printing presses. <laughs> That's like my childhood all over again. Yeah. The smell of the ink, but like the three D printers are as big as a freaking printing press almost. Yeah, I mean, I mean these these skinnier, are in- a little slimmer, but the length of them is fifty feet. I mean, that's a printing press. Yep, yep. Those things are huge. Yep. So that robot right there, those have been used for uh, decades and decades to assemble uh, automobiles and that's aircraft. Right. And so we've taken a, a ro- six-axis robot, and then we've developed a print head that's on the that end of that robot arm, and then we've developed all the proprietary software to drive it, um, and done some unique things to make the uh, robots really accurate. And then we also partnered with a ten billion a year revenue company out of uh, France with their U.S. headquarters over in. Uh, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, and we're developing resins that meet different uh, King of Prussia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm like, that's a real place. That's, that's a, a city. Yeah. Pennsylvania. I've been there though, so yeah. it's it's not too far outside of Philly. But. So, do you have buy-in from? the city of Coeur d'Alene and the chamber and are they excited about what you're doing do they even know what you're doing oh they do I <laughs> you know I think that uh, we've kind of gotten a lot of local press over the last couple of years yeah. after we came out of stealth mode and it's been encouraging just to get the support from the city and from you know the community in this area um, cheering mm-hmm. us on and you know wanting us to be successful um, it's been hugely um you know humbling for us mm-hmm. um, i'm actually a, a board member on the chamber of commerce here cool. in Coeur d'Alene. so like to get involved with the city uh, john and i are very involved with making sure that Coeur d'Alene grows in the right way right we're past the point of uh, no return i mean this is no longer a secret Coeur d'Alene is oh, yeah. hi- highly being sought after mm-hmm. you know you see out of town people especially with covid now i mean everyone wants to get out of these big metropolitan areas and move into this area and so we want to make sure that it develops in the right way right where opportunities like myself and the next generation you know people can stay here and get high paying jobs and you know have an opportunity to create startups and mm-hmm. follow their passion well, and follow the their people are coming here maintain you know yeah main, the reason why people come here exactly yeah. we don't want this to become you know the next you get enough outsiders and it starts to morph if you don't let, you know watch well, it's, it. exactly it's really on it's really on the verge of becoming more than a vacation town which yeah. is what a lot of people look at cordelaine as so they see Shaq here they see mark Wahlberg here and yeah a lot of big know, names the kardashians last summer yeah people know to look at gaza and there's a yeah. famous person walking and they out. get excited about that but there's so much more to cordelaine and hayden than that right there really is a lot of investment a lot of companies mm-hmm. here um and it's something that i'll be honest the amount of companies i work with i neglect this area i really do mm-hmm. yeah i'm 30 minutes away or 40 minutes away yeah at best yeah. and i need to be out here meeting more people out here plus so. it's nice to come out here for three months straight i was coming out here every morning starting my day at the anytime fitness out here because everything in spokane was oh yeah okay so i'd go to anytime fitness out here on east sherman that you, like you were talking yeah about. um and then i would go to vault coffee and sit there till probably 11 o'clock or noon and head back into spokane with a bunch of work done wow that's yeah. awesome is that your normal routine is that you're uh, working out every morning every morning i can't i can't function properly without the gym yeah i did skip today i played golf today at 6 30 in the morning instead yes we can call <laughs> that a workout <laughs> i'm the same way that's uh I, i'm all about routine and i get up at 
5.15 every morning, check my email, respond to a couple ones that are on the East Coast, and then I go out and do CrossFit, you know, from yeah. 6 to 7, shower, and then start my day, my normal work day. Here's my well, thing. The fact that you wear shorts and Birkenstocks yeah. to work makes me je- jealous. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. It's like me every day, except I wear Nike. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever seen you in Birkenstocks. Uh, no, I don't Can you imagine Birkenstocks. Steven in Birkenstocks, people? That'd be... Yeah, then it's not my style, you know. Um, He's got my legs. But uh, CrossFit. Let's get back on that. I love CrossFit, right? I love CrossFit gyms. I love what CrossFit's done for fitness. I absolutely think that there's... I just can't do group fitness. I hate the the thought of someone telling me what to do as opposed to just going and doing it. So it's funny because I've got this love-hate relationship with CrossFit. I've tried it and I do appreciate... It's created this community. Yeah. And there's so many more people doing good things for themselves than there ever was. But I can't do group fitness. I think at the end of the day, you just got to do what works for you. I think yeah. fitness is so important. Uh, for me, I've always been into fitness. I've always been athletic. But I you know, I go through phases where I would mm-hmm. fizzle out. I call it bro lifting. I used to bro lift for a while, <laughs> mix in cardio every once in a while. Steven likes to be little bros and they big freaking milk jugs. You know? and <laughs> I don't do the milk jug. <laughs> but, you know, when I found CrossFit, it was, it was more than just a fitness program. It was community, mm-hmm. but there was also competition. You know, mm-hmm. you'd be competing. You get the same people that are showing up to classes, and you kind of see where you're at, you know, as far as physical fitness. And the coaches do an amazing job of meeting you right where you're at, but challenging you, and it never gets easy. It's constantly varied. And you're seeing yourself get better, and you're chasing that person's name and time on the board or, or you know, your buddy next to you. And, you know, at the end of the day, my goal is just to be, healthy and fit for as long as I can like I want at this point I want to avoid injury and pass mm-hmm. like maxing out my deadlift and yeah. you know yeah. throw my lower back out or something and not being able to work out for three months you know it's more important to be sustainable and longevity than yeah than competing with those young 20 something year olds so so without court and controversy and this is as often a completely different direction Ben and I do tangents better than most oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, like, where, where are we going with this all the controversy with a CrossFit founder yeah. What do you think comes next? Does Rogue buy them? Does Nike buy CrossFit? What happens next? Continuous composites. <laughs> you know, I think that they're going to let the dust settle. I think I could see Rogue buying CrossFit, you know, being the number one sponsor of it, but I think they want to let the dust settle. I think that there's other factors at play, like COVID and all this group fitness kind of being shut down. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of CrossFit gyms that are hurting right now with, you know, limited numbers. And I don't, I, you know, I've run the numbers. Being an entrepreneur and a startup guy and being passionate about CrossFit, I've run the numbers on a crossfit gym and it's not super profitable that's a passion project yeah yeah it's it's your retirement project Mm -hmm. or you know you gotta have good coaches that can do it while you make your you know your day job paycheck but um i think that they're going to be watching the brand in general i think crossfit's made some pretty big mistakes by getting rid of um the open moving the way the open has happened and then they got rid of regionals um and so they really go straight from this like online open to the games Mm -hmm. and it really threw off you know people's passion for competing at a high level because they could make it to regionals but they're never going to be a games athlete i've I've seen that you know personally even in the gyms here so well one, one of my my colleagues and he's just moved up by Ben Bradley Alcock. He's he's a games athlete. He's been to the games three times. He's trying to do it again. Gym in his garage. Yeah, well he built that because yeah. of COVID. But yeah. So he's a he's a games athlete and I asked him, so he's with uh Deritus, is that am I saying yeah, that right? Deritus. Deritus. 
and they're disassociating or dis with with CrossFit. CrossFit, yeah. And I was just curious if your gym was doing the same cross training. No, our our gym is not. Um, so I've been part of like five CrossFit gyms between Spokane and Coeur d'Alene. Um, just either from how I was working on my schedule with kids to driving out here. Um, I, when COVID hit and the CrossFit gym shut down, I actually built a CrossFit gym in my shop. And so I haven't returned to you know, nice. CrossFit Coeur d'Alene, um, which the biggest thing I miss is the people. I totally. miss all the people and the coaches. Um, but I'm throwing down in my gym 6 a.m., you know, Monday through Friday. Got a f- my brother and a few people that come and do it. Love it. Oh, cool. um, so you still got a little bit of community. Yeah, still idea. got a little bit yeah. of community and competition and all that stuff. But our gym here in Coeur d'Alene isn't disassociating that I'm aware of at this point. Mm-hmm. We do have uh, a games athlete. She was, so this is the sad part. She's in the master's division and she placed uh, number one in the uh, online age group qualifier. And so she was going into the games seated number one and then they canceled the games. And so uh, for the, for the master's wow. division. So it was like super sad. She, she worked, worked her butt off yeah. last yeah. year. She was, uh, I think number two or three going into the game. She competed. I think she finished somewhere in the top five. Mm-hmm. So she was excited to go back for another year. And uh, it was bummer to see how hard she worked and didn't get to go uh, compete on the big stage. But she's still doing some of the smaller competitions. And Yeah, next year. Next year. It's yeah. always next year. But. Yeah. but, I mean, CrossFit lost some of their biggest sponsors, like CrossFit, the brand. Yeah. So I know Reebok ditched them. Rogue distanced themselves from it. Um, what was the supplement company that, ditched out i can't remember um but yeah there's did you know about any of this ben like it, it all happened the the guy uh basically had some sexist and racist comments and yeah came back and bit him in the butt yeah so nope <laughs> <laughs> nope ben and i will need to come out and lift in your gym with you something yeah it'd be fun there you go yeah this is your brother comes out through, huh? through paces is he in Coeur d'Alene now too? Then did yep. you pull him out here. Yep. No. Yeah, moved him out here. He was over, over in Seattle, and he uh, ended up moving back. But he came to Coeur d'Alene, and That's cool. yeah, my brother a, just moved back too. Really? Yeah. So That's they're awesome. All coming back home. <laughs> well, back they the they realized like oh, this is the place to raise a family, right? Yeah. It's like you can go off and play for your you know early twenties, but there's no place like the PNW to raise a family and to work. And there's opportunity here, you know. There is, so and you're seeing that as you get older too, more and more. Yeah. Totally. Like, and I, I love the fact that you guys are talking about like keeping continuous posits here. And that's the case for a few other startups that I, I know of, right? That they're like, no, we're not going to Silicon Valley. Like, yeah. It's like, we've, we're, we're here. This yeah. is where our people work. This is our home. Yeah. And then a lot of the, even the VCs are saying like, oh, actually that kind of makes sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like we don't have to pay you 200 grand a year. Exactly. Like as an engineer for the startup. Yeah. As an entry level engineer. Yeah. And like, that leads exactly that leads to burn rate they're also fighting to retain human capital you know they're going from one startup to the next you know so while some vcs might view it as a negative thing being in Coeur d'Alene versus a place like silicon valley or boston i'm like no this is absolutely a positive thing you know our employees are going to stay they like where they live and they work uh reasonable wages are are uh, it's so it's easy to recruit here for your dollars absolutely and then when COVID hits and yeah you see these vcs go like just into freeze mode and they're just triaging on their existing portfolio companies and it's like it's because they're all hemorrhaging cash because they have such huge yeah. burn rates and stuff yeah. our one yeah, of our absolutely. one of our philosophies with this business has been aim small miss small 
And that was something that came from John in the mining industry where all these big mining companies would cut out this big massive mine and they put all this infrastructure in and millions of dollars and they'd always miss really big. If you aim small, you're going to miss much smaller, which yeah. obviously you're, tar you're trying to be laser focused and, and surgical like a sniper. And that's what we've kind of been doing with the business. But, I like that. That yeah. makes sense. So let's cool. say Tyler the intern and a couple of his buddies want to start a company in a few years. Oh, They've got the billion dollar idea yeah what advice would you give them what's the one piece of advice you would say before they even start i would make sure that they surround themselves with a diverse team of um entrepreneurs that with a little bit of experience you know have the business side the technical side um and just that aim small miss small would be my approach so make sure that you start it off right people so often neglect the business side of it like why should this you know maybe by on paper this person's an accountant right that's me i was an mm -hmm. accountant on paper so you know think about the guy who invented this why should we have the accountant as one of the founders and you know get a solid chunk of equity so you're really looking for alignment amongst you and your two buddies um you know bring in the proper experience advice mentors around you partners. yeah it's i think it's so critical and and know that your plan that you start with is going to change and so just be willing to you know fail fast and be adaptable you sound like you're giving relationship advice right now well we had that conversation actually, at lunch yeah, yesterday yeah, actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually the same advice for relationships yeah yeah it's funny because we're talking about a lot like it's funny how much business is relational right yeah so the same things that are applied mm -hmm. to business are applied in marriage friendships acquaintances i mean it's absolutely the same concepts yeah using all of them yeah because we're all just humans at the end of the day absolutely make sure you find your own conviction too you know there's there's an opportunity cost to your time and so um i before we started continuous composites john and i already owned McAllister, and we were running this operating company but i can't tell you how many ideas we went down and said no to either because the people weren't right or the idea wasn't right or the timing wasn't right. But don't be afraid to, you have to look at lots of things and again, fail fast on those to find the one that's worth you sinking your time in. Cause there's a real opportunity cost to dedicating five plus years of your life towards something that you're probably not gonna be making a lot of money at in the beginning and you'll be putting a shitload of hours into it. So yeah. I love that. I like it too. Well, appreciate you having us out today. Yeah, yeah. fun. This yep. has been fun. Did, did we'll you have any we'll work out questions? together. I don't. Okay. Do you? I don't no. We'll work out together. We'll drink some beers together, and we hope. Or white claws. Obviously, we're going to keep an eye on how you're doing, and maybe we all need to get out on the lake here soon, Ben. Make that yeah, happen. We can attempt to surf. Let's do it. Attempt to surf. What do you mean? Wake you surfing. can surf, <laughs> dude. We'll get you surfing, man. I've surfed once, and Wait. I did not let go of the rope, and it was behind uh, Davidson's boat. Okay. So Lauren and yeah, Aaron what's and what's. I got to remember, I've never been behind their boat, but... It's a Taiga. Okay. Yeah. I think... It's a 99 uh, Taiga. Okay, so when I get you up surfing without the rope, we're going to say it's the coach. It's the... Well, that, <laughs> that won't take much. Eric was just like, here's a beer. Hold on to the rope. <laughs> the cool thing about... coaching. <laughs> the cool thing about surfing, though, is that it's so low impact and mellow. And yeah. it's... You can get up and pretty much anyone can do it. And so it's it's fun. That's what you're going to be doing after this, going out surfing. I am. I am. Dinner and surfing on the... Tiger's on the like living my dream, working in a startup, going out on a boat to dinner and surfing. I'm like, son of a... All right. Last piece that we're going to ask for oh, is... Oh, we do another question. How do people find... 
website what what can they look for on social media where do they find you guys yeah so our website's just continuouscomposites.com um yeah it's a pretty good pretty good overview of our technology you also can go to that website and you can see a banner on the top to go to our uh, e-commerce site that we are selling those masks that i was telling you guys Mm -hmm. about earlier uh we call it the cp95 continuous protection 95 um on social media Gosh, this is more of a question for Ali, our director of marketing. But I think they it's just, just yeah, Facebook, continuous composites, <laughs> Instagram. I think it's at CF3D Printing, something like that. So CF3D is the name of our patented technology, which stands for Continuous Fiber 3D Printing. Huh, wow. uh, so we, you know, created a trademark around the process. Um, so if you look at 3D printing in general, there's FDM, which is filament deposition modeling. There's SLA, stereolithography. Um, there's different types of names that describe a process and most of those processes are not patent protected so there's multiple players in the same space because of our patented technology you know there's you know really only a couple players in this space so cool yeah all right a lot of big words well what do you want to tell our listeners ben I think Steven should wear Birkenstocks. <laughs> I think Steven should wear Birkenstocks too. <laughs> next next podcast, uh, you got to come out in Birkenstocks. I don't even wear sandals unless I'm at the beach or the pool. He's got really white legs. Dude, they but make... legs are just fine. They make mm. rubber Birkenstocks that are about 40 bucks, and they are awesome. They're like, they're water... Yeah. I used to wear them when I was younger, sandals. I mean, I'm just a, it's not my thing. I okay. like having Nikes on. So like us, review us. Share us. Share us. If you want to reach out to us, you're welcome to do that. Or uh, if you want to reach out to Tyler. Or Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Tyler for those of you that know, we got Tyler Green, the intern here. He's been a great addition to our team this summer. This is actually his last day uh, as an intern with Continuous Composites, and he is going back to start his junior year at Whitworth University uh, working mm-hmm. on his accounting degree. So hopefully we've been able to share some uh, insight with him and give him some good experience over the summer. and. Again, this is what it's all about, you know, leaving the next generation better off than we had it. So I love it. All right. And you guys that are still listening, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week. And until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom. Awesome, guys. Thank you.